read um, our text for today, which comes from Philippians chapter 2. It's on page 1179 in the Church Bibles. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 to 11. The title, Imitating Christ's Humility. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Thank you Rob that's such a highly uh, distilled um, condensed reference um, in Philippians 2 1 to 11 probably the extract from um, some of the, the earliest hymns recorded uh, in, under the auspices of the Christian church and it gives you a, a, a lovely insight as you think of uh, the modern songs and the content that uh, here it's talking about the Lord Jesus and in the light of what he's done that he's worthy of our worship and our devotion um, and following him so here we are we're continuing in this um, uh, book seven I think sermons in total and we're coming now to uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2 uh, verses 1 to 11 and just to say that uh, this Sunday and uh, week Sunday we'll be staying here so that we can look at it in a little bit more detail so next Sunday and this we're embarking on uh, this most sublime and wonderful and deeply humbling uh, part of uh, Philippians possibly um, the most influential certainly in the whole book if not in the whole of the New Testament as it points to the Lord Jesus saying who he is why he came and what our destiny is as we trust in him so uniquely uh, we come face to face with the true humanity of Jesus just think for a moment Jesus is as human and as physical as what you are now perfect man 
in his true humanity. And you have that in verses 7 to 8. And then this resplendent, magnificent deity. Here is God. Not half man, half God. But the God man. The perfect man. The true God. True, na true God. Uh, two natures. One person. Human, divine. A great mystery. And I think Kendrick in that uh, hymn that we're singing captures that so beautifully. Oh, what a mystery. Meekness and majesty. Bow down and worship. This, this is your God. When we think of who he is and what he's done. Now, I hope at the very least you'll benefit from the introduction to this sermon, if not the, the, the totality of it. Because what you have here is Paul's four ifs. Look at them carefully. Um, Paul's four ifs followed by Paul's thens, you know, if this, then that. And there's a logic and there's a connection. And it's very important that we make this at the very outset, okay? So, if you have any encouragement from being united to Christ, it's a big if. If any comfort of his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, you see it, if that, then this. We now really need to work hard at making this connection personally. Not in somebody else's life, in yours. It's lovely sometimes in a sermon at various times, and you know it and I know it, it's you and Jesus, you and him. And that's the, the, the connection that we must make here this morning. If, this, then, that. And it's a very simple one, and yet it's so profound in its, in its consequences in our lives. If these things are true, then certain implications must follow. As night follows day, or darkness, light, and so on. Okay, and there are three ways, and I just, just, just to try to help us here. Uh, it, might, it might help then just uh, to just look at these three headings first and then come back to this. First of all, um, the overall heading of the, the sermon this morning is making others joyful. So yes, think about yourself, but the implication of that is the people with whom you relate, whether it's at work or at home, in your family, in the church, or whatever. So, the first point would be this, the joy of others. The joy of others. Look at verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. The challenge here, and uh, we'll come to this because it's easy to misunderstand it, um, we are one mind, one love, one spirit, and one ultimately all-consuming purpose which governs our lives, our valleys, our relationships. The joy of others. So much of our lives, the traffic is the other way, the joy of me, how I feel, how I think, how I'm hurt, how my feelings are impacted. Now that's not wrong, but if the traffic is only one way, then we become rather miserable people. Self-centered is the word. So, if this, then that. Second heading, unity with others. To live by this truth, is more than believing the right things. Some very fine Christians have stopped at having the right doctrine. They say all of life, whether it's the creeds, whether it's the Bible, is this. Believe the right things and everything else falls into place. But often it doesn't. 
I know of very good people, very sincere people, who believing the right things, relate to people always in the wrong way. So it doesn't stop at right doctrine. But it does mean that as I believe the right things, I relate to people. It's my relationships with others that impacts me. Now, if this, then that. And it's so easy to, to be put, perhaps even in the evangelical church, to be put into a straitjacket which asphyxiates us rather than liberates us. So then, verse 2 again, make my joy complete by being like-minded, have the same love, be one in spirit and purpose. So it's a, it's a massive uh, challenge, isn't it? Right doctrine, yes, believe the right things, but let's relate to each other. And especially, if I may say, to other people who really we don't like very much. Or perhaps, may I say it in a more pertinent way, some who don't like us very much. We always think it's the other way, don't we? Joy of others, unity with others, and thirdly, just in these quick headings, the value of others. What value do we place on one another? It is a very strange thing, uh, which I witness constantly, and as you know, my father dying quite recently. Why is it that we wait until uh, somebody dies that we start talking about people and valuing people? Father always said, and I said it from you before, give me flowers when I'm alive. Do it now. No good after. That is an absurd philosophy. You go through the rest of your life, if only, if only. What's that about? Do we really value others, really? Or do we leave it too late? Look, look at verse 3 and 4. Do not, sorry, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Well, we often do, don't we? And vain conceit. But here's a, there's a, a, a good one-liner. Look at this. In humility, consider others better than yourself. Now, I hope that when you go home, you would want to sit down and think, what does that mean? To consider others better than myself. So, what value do we put on one another? Perhaps to exploit what's in it for me. What can I get out of this relationship? Or, is it to encourage? What can I invest in this relationship that will be a mutual benefit and an enrichment to other people and the ripples will be felt much wider? Now, we can't fudge this. Verse 3, it's, I've got it in, in, in red ink in the notes, consider others, quote-unquote, better than yourself. Now, in some instances, that's not difficult at all. We know that, in some instances. But what do we mean? You think, uh, well, it's obvious some, some people are better looking. Some people have a lovely figure. Some people are very uh, handsome, or they've had such a wonderful education. And they're so privileged with their background. You consider them better. It's not what Paul's talking about at all. You might say, okay, this is the sermon, I know it's church, but why should I? Why should I? Really now, why should I consider other people better than myself? When in fact, in some instances, you know that you are actually better than them. And you could give examples. Well, I'll tell you why you should. 
Because Jesus Christ, our Savior, counted our salvation, yours and mine, more important than preserving his own life. That's why. And it's nothing to do with other people's education or circumstances, the house they live, the car they drive, the job, the salary they earn, and all that stuff where you think they might be better. Nothing of the kind. I consider people better for this reason. And I, I give it to you again. Because Jesus counted our salvation more important than preserving his own. And if he did it, I need to do it. So to receive Jesus Christ, surely I must reflect him. And of course, as a preacher I have to say, if not, why not? What is there that stops us doing that? Now how sad, and again, this is not intended to be a negative sermon, but we have to work this through. How sad if, having received the blessings of verses 1 and 2, yet they saw little fruit of it in our lives. That we have fractious relationships. Actually, don't get on. Why should it be like that? Now, I know there are psychological things, temperament, background, all those things. But allowing for that, why? So, let's stay with this because it's, it's the heart of the sermon and we're going to um, look at it in a different way. To better understand the implication of Paul's fourfold um, appeal, and he gives it, if, 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 right? Let's look at it in a different way. Let's look at these four positive assertions with a different grammatical structure. And it's this. Instead of if, and the, the language allows for this, since. Instead of if, since. So, since there is encouragement in Christ... Be of the same mind. Be of the same mind. Since there is comfort, or another translation, think now of, of all our experiences, our losses, our sorrows. If there is true consolation of his love that I receive, well, can't I maintain the same love? That's what he says there. You see the connection. Thirdly, since there is fellowship in the Spirit, that it's more than just going to church, since there is that, how can I be united in Spirit? And then fourthly, as we're revisiting this, since there is tenderness and compassion, be one in purpose. One in Spirit, one in purpose. Now, I think that is a great objective of, of individuals, of families, and of the whole church. Let's just try to qualify one thing, because I know that it's easy to misrepresent this, or misunderstand, rather. Paul here is encouraging that this church to be like-minded, to have the same mind. Now, what he's not saying is, you all have to believe the same thing. You all have to vote conservative or Lib Dem or anything. Or you all have to dress in a certain way. Or you all have to believe in a certain way. Or you all have to act in the same way. Now, there are churches like that. They're sort of like a sub-subculture. Almost cultish, if you like. Exclusive. 
and, and there are certain lines that you must follow. Go out of that and you're excommunicated. No, he's not saying that. Let me try to make this distinction and then we move on. Unity comes from within. Right? Unity in the Spirit is an internal thing. It's a result of being born again by the Spirit. That unity is spiritual. It's a result then, if you like, of an inner attitude, which we'll come to. Uniformity is the complete opposite to that. It comes from without. It's pressure. Whether it's the elders or the Pope or, or anybody, it's imposed with rules like that. And everybody is to stand in line. Uniformity is from without. Unity is from within. Uniformity is imposed by law, if you like, and rules. Unity in the spirit is the complete opposite. And that's what Paul is advocating here. By being like-minded, it doesn't mean that we're all the same. How boring is that? Diversity and variety is God's gift to us. Now, do you see what he's saying? How liberating is this? So the joy of others, unity with others, the value of others. It's true, isn't it? We value what we do, we do what we value. Or do we just marginalize people? If Jesus is central in our lives, what a difference that makes in our relationships. And then, it's not just something I read at church, I can truly count my fellow believer better than myself and want the best for him or for her. Why? Because Jesus counted our salvation more important than his own life. To receive Jesus is to reflect him. So thus for each of you should look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. So, that's the sort of lead-in to the hymn, which we're going to... Uh, look at uh, briefly now and uh, from ver verses 5 through to 11 on this section just try to see it now as a, as a hymn that stands on its own um, it, there, is, there is again uh, a pivotal thing before you sing the hymn excuse me he says before you sing the hymn just one thing just one thing that now will make the hymn most glorious and will resonate in your heart and it's this you need the attitude of Jesus Christ. Get rid of that negative attitude. Get rid of it. For you sing the hymn, have this attitude. How often, uh, certainly in marriage preparation, but in other contexts. Attitude, your best friend or your worst enemy. And don't people know it? So, before the hymn, here it is, the attitude. Get rid of it. Don't do that. You may need to confess your sin of having wrong attitudes towards your fellow believer or whatever. Life's too short. Get rid of it. It won't be helped by singing the hymn if your attitude is wrong. You could be in tune with the hymn, literally, but out of tune with the hymn spiritually. So, what is this humble attitude saying to us well it's showing us the life of Jesus what a wonderful saviour we have so let's look at three quick headings first of all before 
verses 5 and 6 during, 7 and 8, after 9 to 11. Just to break up uh, uh, this uh, now, the hymn. So it's what you, what's called, the theologians call, pre-incarnate. Jesus was alive before he was born of the Virgin Mary. There are accounts in the Bible of him visiting and coming. So in verses 5 and 6, yes, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And what? Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself. Attitude determines outlook, doesn't it? Attitude determines outlook. Outlook determines outcome. Yes, it does. What a very important thing that is. And now from the example of the Lord Jesus, I challenge you as I challenge myself, and it's this. Do we have an attitude problem? Do we? Maybe from childhood. Maybe we've been dealt a bad deck of cards and life is hard and difficult and it seems conversely that everybody else seems to flow through life. Well, is your attitude then your good companion that as a consequence people will come to you and be drawn to you, not your personality? And we'll ask you, would you Pray for me. Would you listen to me? You're a good listener. You've got time. Isn't it strange? Yes. Or is it something where people avoid you? Think of the attitude of Jesus in verse 6. Leaving the glory of heaven. We deliberately chose this song and it's a very beautiful, modern uh, song. You laid aside your majesty gave up everything for me, suffered at the hands of those you created. You took all my guilt and shame when you died and rose again. Now today you reign in heaven and earth. You're exalted. And our response, I want to worship you. That's our response. God became flesh and blood the sovereign Lord became a suffering saviour. Oh, what a mystery. Meekness and majesty. What a wonderful thing. That's before. But during his coming into this world, being born of the Virgin Mary, living out his life, verses 7 to 8, the essence of humility is a willingness to give up what is rightfully ours we don't like that it's not in our nature it's not in our nature we live in a society that demands its rights true humility that doesn't make us weak that doesn't make, make us a doormat no no the essence of humility is a willingness to give up what is rightfully ours Especially when life is unfair. Especially we think we've been dealt with badly. You see, in verse 7, Jesus made himself nothing, no reputation. That's a big ask for us, isn't it? Such creatures of time and all this. So verse 7, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
You and I, you know, we could take this humility and make it attractive in our lives. And yet how repulsive to God and sometimes even to us, human arrogance. Say people are so full of their own importance. Talk down to you. In verse 7, Jesus made himself nothing. It doesn't mean he gave up his deity. But he submitted himself to the Father's will. And so in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. And what a word that is, even, even this death on the cross. And hymn writers and various people from time to time have been so moved to reflect upon this. This hymn is an example of this. Love so amazing, so divine. If that, then this demands my soul, my life, my all. My faith isn't a hobby, something I do with my spare time. Jesus made himself nothing, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Reading about um, Dr. J.H. Jowett, who was a a very godly man and a missionary and um, he said ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing what did the salvation that we have cost Jesus everything he couldn't he couldn't give more he could have given less and he relates how there's a missionary in Brazil visiting the various booths of these fairs and uh, going from booth to booth and there was one booth that had a heading over it people were selling various things and it was cheap crosses buy here and he thought of himself that's why many Christians are so ineffective today we carry a cheap cross if someone will come after me, deny himself. That's, that's, that's the essence of this, isn't it? Well, take up his cross daily. Follow me. There's no cheap crosses or cheap grace. And finally, after. Verses 9 to 11. What's the sequence of the drama of redeeming love? Therefore, verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the climax, the crescendo of this hymn, that the whole drama of redemption is complete. And we put our sorrows and our disappointments into that wider context. We must Otherwise, we get stuck on the journey. And we've no time for others, much less think about others. We've only got time for ourselves. And it's a pretty miserable existence, really. From the highest height to the deepest depth, even the anguish of hell on the cross for our sin, this lovely Lord Jesus this Saviour. And you see in verse 10, every knee will bow. The greatest cynic that ever lived in this world 
and every tongue will confess the greatest skeptic. And for some, they will confess too late. Too late. Because it isn't saying he is Lord. It is saying he is my Lord. He is Lord whether we like it or not. But that wonderful transition of grace in our lives. He's my Lord. And therefore my relationships are impacted as I take his Lordship back into the home with me. Back with my family. Back into work. Back into my community. He's my Lord. And my knee will bow. And my tongue will confess. Not then when it becomes obvious too late. But now by faith. The Saviour and Lord is now my Saviour, my Lord. It's a great song, isn't it? It's the song of redemption and hope and glory. If these things are true, then surely these consequences become real in our lives more than ever before. I hope that is so.